Father, we thank you for your word that you would tell us what's going to happen before it happens is amazing to us. It, Lord, it causes us to, uh, to want to read closely and to understand. Lord, you didn't tell us about future things for no reason. You didn't tell us about future things to confuse us. Lord, you spoke to us about things to come that we might be ready, that we might be looking up, that we might tell people that you're coming back. And there's an awesome kingdom to, to be a part of. So, Lord, we pray tonight that you would stir our hearts with the hope of our salvation. And as we go through the scriptures, Lord, you would help us to, to just dig in and to understand these things. We ask for your spirit to help us. And it is in the name of Jesus. Amen. All righty. So, um, big picture before we get into some of these slides here. Here's the big picture. Jesus came. He was born of a virgin in the first coming. He went around preaching the gospel, the kingdom of God, and they rejected him. And they did not receive him as Lord and Savior. They crucified him, and three days later he rose again, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. But he said what? I'm coming back. I am coming back. And we do believe that Jesus is coming back to this world again. And it's interesting, in, in many of the um, is that me? I'm not sure if that's me. Which one? You'll have to figure out which one of us that is. But uh, in, in many of the... Um, I totally lost what I was saying. Jesus is coming back. And then what was I going to say? <laughs> Honey, you always know what I'm going to say. What was I going to say? <laughs> What's that? You said many of the... <laughs> but that's not helpful. <laughs> Can't you do better than that? So I'll just pick up wherever I was going. I don't know. But listen, the Lord is going to come back. And, and when he comes back, um, it's going to look m very much like his first coming. The world's going to reject him again. They're not going to crucify him. But they're going to gather into the battle uh, to the valley of Arm Armageddon. And they're going to say, let's kill him. Can you imagine that? You know, somebody like, that's ridiculous. The world would never try and kill God. Well, we already did that. We already nailed him to the cross once, and he's coming back a second time, and the world is going to reject him. Now, we are of the persuasion that during that time period when this takes place, the Great Tribulation, that the church will have already been raptured and in the presence of the Lord in heaven. Um, and then at the second coming, we will return with him and watch him rescue Israel and establish a thousand-year reign of Christ upon the earth. At the end of that thousand years, a new heaven, a new earth, um, will be established, and we will go into what is known as eternity or the eternal state. And you, you're a part of that. I mean, you're a part of this. I mean, it's amazing to think that, you know, here we are kind of running through life, you know, Lynchburg, Virginia, and we're working at these places and driving these cars and living in this neighborhood and shopping here and doing that and paying bills. And yet, and it consumes a lot of our time. Have you noticed that that takes a lot of time? But one day... We're going to all be in the presence of the Lord. And we're going to look upon his glory. We're going to see his beauty. We're going to know him um, even as we are known. The questions are going to be answered. We're going to see him in his glory. And this is the hope that we have. And we're connected to something so huge. We're connected with the things that Paul the Apostle was connected with. We're connected with the things that Abraham was connected with. And, and Moses and Joseph and Esther, and Ruth. We're connected with these people in faith. And, and we are going to all be together in this, this glorious kingdom and eternity that the Lord has. So this is the hope of our salvation. And, and we should be looking up. We should be encouraged by that. So just as a general overview of what we're talking about, um, the first question we, we addressed, um, it wasn't necessarily the first question, but it was... Uh, actually, it was the second question, I think. But what is, who's clicking? Is that you or me? They think it's me. It's you. It's always you. Yeah, okay. So um, the question is, what is the millennial reign of Christ? What are the differing views of this reign? Why does Calvary Chapel Lynchburg hold to a pre-millennial view? So that's the question that um, we looked at. I'm going to answer it real quickly. Um, you have these definitions that are about to pop up um, in your handout, but just for time's sake and looking. Um, number one, what is the millennium? 
The word millennium is derived from the Latin word mille, meaning a thousand, and annus meaning a year, hence uh, a period of 1,000 years. Although the concept of the millennium has its foundation in the conditional covenants of the Old Testament, Revelation 20, 4 through 6, specifically mentions that Christ will reign on the earth for a thousand years following his return to earth. So it's a thousand year reign of Christ upon the earth. Um, well, a thousand year reign of Christ. Do you take it literally? Do you take it figuratively? And that kind of goes into some of these other ideas. But we believe that it's literal and that it's going to be the fulfillment of those prophecies that were given in the Old Testament to the nation of Israel. Number two, we talked about replacement theology, our supersessionism. So if you speak to somebody who's in replacement theology, you probably should refer to it as supersessionism because they will be offended at the term replacement theology. Just, we can do that. That's fine. The teaching that the Christian church has replaced Israel regarding God's promises, uh, purpose and promises. So we talked about that. We, Jeremy took us through a lot of scriptures that just said God's not done. So the millennium is going to be a thousand-year reign of Christ. He's ruling over Israel. Another related issue to this is replacement theology that says, well, Israel's not going to be a part of it. We would say he does. And then it gets us into the three different millennial positions. There's millennial, which says there is no millennium. Okay? Um, it's just a, it's a reference to the fact that uh, the Lord, um, good triumphs over evil, and the Lord is in control. Um, postmillennial is the view that the millennium happens first for any specific period of time. It doesn't matter. We're in the millennium right now. Satan is bound with a great chain. I know you all know that already, and you feel very free and undisturbed by Satan, right? <laughs> Probably not. So they believe, though, he's chained right now. We live in the millennium. As soon as things get good enough, then Christ will, will, will come. Um, premillennial flips it and says, no, um, we believe that there's going to be a thousand-year reign of, of, of Christ upon this earth. Right now, we're in the church age. Um, we'd agree with the post-mill and all-mill on that. We're in the church age. Um, and then at the, end of the, uh, at the end of the tribulation, Jesus is going to return and set up the thousand-year reign upon the earth. Literal earth, fulfilling the literal promises to the literal people Israel. So those are the, 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 the three different views as it relates to the millennium. And um, then we started to get into this next question. What, uh, what are the differing views regarding the timing of the tribulation? Why does CCL hold to a pre-tribulation view? And so just a couple of quick uh, definitions you might want to look at is the great tribulation. This is speaking about that seven-year period of trouble upon the earth. It's exploded in Revelation 6 through 19. If you want to find out what that's about, you read those um, chapters there. Um, so this relates to this whole conversation because we're talking about, are you being, is the church going up before the great tribulation? Is it going up in the middle of the tribulation? Or is it going up at the end of the great tribulation? So tribulation is relevant in this discussion. Rapture means to be caught up into the air. Um, again, you have that definition. Um, Mid-trib, you can kind of guess. They believe we're going to go up in the middle of the tribulation, three and a half years in. Post-trib, we're going to go up at the end of the tribulation. Um, it's synonymous with the second coming. And pre-trib says, no, the church is actually going to go up into meet the Lord in the air and be with him in heaven for seven years while the great tribulation is going on here on earth. So very different views. Um, one word that we talked about, and this is about where we left off, and Joel, I'll have you start chiming in here in just a moment, but we talked about the word imminent. And this means ready to take place or impending. And the idea is we, we believe that the rapture of the church can happen in any moment. It can happen right now. It can happen a year from now. It can happen in 10 years. It can happen in 100 years. We don't know when it's going to happen. But we believe that it will, this will happen prior to the Great Tribulation, and we don't know when it's going to take place. So it's at any moment theological position that Jesus can come back. So um, got a couple of verses up here that kind of help to understand that position of eminence, which is directly tied with the 
rapture of the church, the pre-trib rapture. So imminence is connected with the pre-tribulation view the church does not go through. Um, and so the, a couple of verses that speak about being ready at any moment, right? 1 Corinthians 1, 7. So that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. They were sitting on the edge of their seats, expecting that Jesus could come back at any moment. They were eagerly waiting. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 22 says, If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. And then we read, O Lord, come, or Maranatha. The, the words, O Lord, come, are an, is a combination of two Aramaic words, which is, O Lord, come. They came up with a word that expressed that idea of right now. Oh, Lord, come. Come right now. It's not, oh, Lord, come right after the seven-year tribulation. It's, Lord, come right now. So they, you can see, uh, we probably could go through a dozen, two dozen scripture verses like this. Philippians 3.20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're, there's this eagerness of that we're believing that the, the next event is the, the, the Lord bringing the church home. Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we could go through again so many verses. The church lived with an expectation that the Lord was about to come. And so we're called to look up. We're told to be watching. We're told to be waiting. We're told to even be hastening the coming of the Lord. So these are the verses that lead us to the conclusion that the church in the first century was living like Jesus could come back at any moment. And um, if we have time, we'll get into some of the Thessalonian passages that kind of indicate that. But, um, you know, yeah, why don't we talk about that point right there? So the church at Thessalonica, they um, had some people that died in their church. And... What was her response, and how does that tie into the idea of imminence? Putting you on the spot there, but yeah. Um, so they they thought that those who had died before, um, with this teaching that had come in, they thought that those who had died, yeah, like a false teaching, and made it into the church, right? right? So they thought that um, those who had died, they they'd missed the train, so to speak, like that their their glorification was missed. The the Lord hadn't um, they hadn't been caught up. They had missed it thrust now into the tribulation, which Paul deals with that a little bit more in 2 Thessalonians, but Paul says, in fact, no, they haven't missed it, and um, they were concerned that they had entered the day of the Lord, and that those who had died had missed their salvation. So that doesn't sound like people that are expecting the Lord to come back in a very long period of time. I mean, they're, I mean you're expecting him to come back like really, really soon, so soon that they didn't even expect anybody to die. And when they did die, and they came and said, well, look, all these people missed out. Um, this caused troubling, and so Paul had to write and um, intervene. you have something you add to that? Yeah, I was just going to add that in uh, chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul actually relays that their very testimony of having been gospel recipients, right, the, the transformation of their lives, he says, was that they had turned from idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for his son from heaven. That was, that was the evidence, that was the story that was known of them by virtue of their receiving the message of Jesus. And so that's, you know, this, the whole concept of eschatology, end time study, and a hope in his return isn't, you know, an optional course for, you know, those taking graduates. But like, this is, the, this is the core of the gospel. This is what receiving the truth of Jesus is supposed to do in us and among us. And then, you know, we hear from John later that that has that effect of purifying, purifying the, those who have this hope fixed on him, purify themselves as he is pure. And so that's the church. That's what's yeah. always been happening among believers. Right. Yeah. So second coming of Christ, um, would we say that that could happen at any moment? The second coming of Christ, right. his second advent, no, that, there's a whole bunch of things that have to take place before that. What type of things need to happen before the second coming of Christ? Uh, the revelation of the Antichrist, the, the tribulation period, the rapture, um, before even all of that, um, the, the ministry of the two witnesses, so on and so forth. There's just Pretty much uh, everything on this sheet back here, right? Yeah, all of the, the judgments that are coming. Yeah. All um, that... Basically found in Revelation 6 through 19, all of these mm -hmm. things happened prior to the second coming of Christ. All of those things. 
And so, yeah, so we don't, we don't see the second coming of Christ as an imminent event. These things must precede it. Um, so this is why we, in, we, we infer from these verses that the church lived expecting Jesus to come back at any moment. If that and other verses, other passages, um, lead, draw, bring us to the conclusion that Jesus is about to come. So if you hold to a post-tribulation view, you have to see some things happen first before yeah. Jesus comes, right? Yeah. And I'm not, we're not necessarily saying that person's not eagerly waiting for those events, and, and I'm not, we're not going there, but, but they've got to see some things take place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Any other thoughts there, Jeremy? Or, yeah, I cut you off? Or? Nope. No? So imminence, such an important idea. Now, Joel, on this matter, again, we're answering the question. Maybe you could put that up there again. What, um, the different, what are the differing views regarding the timing of the tribulation? Why does CCL hold to a pre-tribulation view? So number one, we would say because of this doctrine of imminence. We talked about not being appointed to wrath last week and how um, the tribulation is a time where God is pouring out his wrath upon the world. So why would the church be there in the world when God's pouring out his wrath upon her? So th- those are two um, big foundational points uh, for us in this. But there's a lot of uh, people that have problems with the pre-tribulation view, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. There's a couple of different ideas. Um, one, you'll see it described as like a secret rapture. Um, and there's no Bible verse that, that they can, you know, stick onto that. The idea more comes from just the idea that there's, there's going to be this world f- full of people and the Christians that are there are going to be snatched up. It's going to be a secret event. We're going to be out. Nobody's going to know that it's happening. Um, and so they'll say, you know, it's a secret rapture, you know. It might be secret for like one second. Right. Right. <laughs> right? Because as soon as people start disappearing from this earth, everybody's going to realize something happened. Right. So there will be no, no more secret. Um, it's because he's going to come in the moment, the twinkling of an eye. Exactly. And, and the reason they'll say that is because of um, the trump that is mentioned there in 1 Corinthians 15, Revelation 11 or 14, I can't remember. Um, and the, just the cataclysmic things that are going to happen from their position, they believe, are going to be taking place before the rapture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why let's say it's a secret rapture. Church is ducking out. They're, they're you know, going on. Nobody's going to know about it until it happens. But right. um, you get the sense from what Paul says in First Thessalonians 4 that, and, and in First Corinthians 15, it, the trump is going to be blasted. There's going to be the call of the angel, the archangel. It's just... People are going to know that this is happening. It's going to be. It's going to shake the world. It's going to definitely shake the world. All right. Um, And what about the this idea that well, this this view is a new view. It Mm -hmm. it came around with a a pastor, a theologian by the name of John Darby, and you just you got to dismiss that. Yeah. A Johnny Come Lately (laughs) doctrine, right? Yeah. um, You know, the first thing I would say it's not newer than First Thessalonians or First Corinthians. So we're going to base yeah. our, our view of the pre-trib in Scripture. Exactly. And, yeah, say it's a, a late or new teaching first appearing in the 1800s. He mentions John Darby. We actually have accounts of this doctrine, maybe not as a system of doctrine um, around until then, but the, the teaching is clear from history. Um, Pseudo-Ephraim as early as the 300s. Do you have that quote? Um, I don't you have don't? the quote. Okay. No, I do not have the quote. Um, and then actually as early as 270 AD in, in church history, again, this is church history, we don't have this in scripture, but St. Uh, Victorinus, um, the Bishop of Batau, he, he actually wrote a commentary on the book of Revelation. And in that, there are some very specific pre-trib rapture elements that are there. So, um, you know, and I would just say, people will say that, you know, it's a new teaching and you can't trust what Darby said or, you know, um, there was this, there's this lady, Margaret McDonald, who had a vision and they'll say, well, she influenced him and he got his, his inspiration from her. There's no historical evidence for that. It's an ad hominem argument. And if you're going to make an argument for a mid-trib rapture or a post-trib rapture, just do it from scripture. Yeah, as you we know? should as well, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Anything to add on there? Well, just as you guys had had 
spoken, you know, the scripture is clear in many ways that not all regarding the Lord's second coming is knowable to us now. And yet, if you hold a mid-trib or a, a post-trib view, suddenly things that have been given very specific timelines and details from Daniel and elsewhere, suddenly those things do become knowable. That, you know, there's, there's very clear, mm -hmm. you know, statements of this is this is how many days that it will be until, you know, between the abomination of desolation being set up and the Lord's return. And so, so then you have some other conflicts that you really need to solve. Well, how can those things both be at the same time? Right. No man can know the day or the hour, and yet the day would be calculable for so, that's right. So that. actually, I can ask this question. How many days are going to lapse from the abomination of desolation until Jesus comes back? It looks like 1290. Yeah. So, or 1260, 1290, somewhere right there. I mean, you have, you can count it down, three and a half years, 42 months. You know when Jesus is coming back during the Great Tribulation. You know what day. It, the it, Revelation tells. So this idea that you, we can't know leads us again to this, I, the belief that, well, the rapture is a, uh, an event that has no signs. So therefore, when he comes, um, it's going to be a surprise to some but we are to be looking up and to not be surprised at that event. Let's turn over to actually 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's kind of dig into a passage that kind of actually talks about the rapture a little bit. And so um, 2 Thessalonians 2 chapter 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ or the day of the Lord has come. So somebody was writing something, right, Joel? Yeah, it seems like there was some um, letter that had come in, some teaching that had come in, signed by, not by Paul, but as Paul. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that teaching had come in to them. And it had taken them by surprise. And, and in verse 2, it says, the, the, the point is, they were saying, the day of the Lord has come. And Paul is saying, the day of the Lord has not come. Mm -hmm. But what was the response of the, of the Thessalonians when they thought the day of the Lord had come? Did they feel good about that? Another fear, confusion, discouragement, you know, misdirection. Yeah. So they're being told by somebody that the day of the Lord, and you can look that definition up, you have that as a definition in your glossary, that the day of the Lord is coming. They're actually saying it's here. The response of believers was to find out when they're in the day of the Lord, the tribulation period, to find that out. They were not like, well, it's going to be hard, and, but at least it's coming. Their response was, oh, no. Yep. This, this troubled them. This caused them um, to be troubled. So verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Who is that? That's the, the Antichrist, Christ. right? It's the Antichrist who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God and the temple of God showing himself that he is God. So that's right in the middle of the day of the Lord, right? What is that event called? Jesus referred to it. Daniel called it, what is that event called? Anybody? The abomination of desolation. I think you might have that as, I don't know if you have that as a glossary term or not. But this is, we just read it, the Antichrist is going to be there. So he's saying, hey, don't be afraid that you're in this day when the Antichrist is going to be there. He says, verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed. So he's going to come, but before he comes, something's going to happen. Something's holding him back. Something is restraining him um, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed. And it, it continues to go on. So the restraining... Um, Jeremy, what do you think the restraining is? There's different views, but what's your take on the restraining? Yeah, I, I think it's the, I'll, I'll bridge the gap. I think it's the work of the Spirit in his people, the church, in this right. moment. Yeah, I think, mm -hmm. I think we, you know, the Lord is 
taking great pains to equip us for that gathering work that he's doing, which he doesn't stop doing during the tribulation, which is amazing. You know, the, the wrath is being poured out, the extent that the Lord goes to to reach the lost and to, as he shakes the very foundations of everything we know, to call people to himself is just incredible. But the, the, the work of the Spirit, the way we have come to uh, benefit and be blessed by it is withdrawn at that yeah. time. And, and I like the way you say the work of the Spirit in the church. So at Pentecost, right, the Holy Spirit came upon the church and has been upon the church and working in the church for the last 2,000 years. But when the church is gone um, and the, the Spirit's work in it through the church, it's not that the Holy Spirit is gone, but that the church is gone and that work has gone through them. Well, now it's going to be, now the, the Antichrist can come on the scene. But the important thing for you to see is the, this fellowship was troubled in their spirit when they thought they were in the day of the Lord. If they had been taught by Paul that they were going to be in the day of the Lord, this wouldn't have troubled them. They would have been like, all right, buckle up, boys. It's about to get bad. But you know what? We know how it ends in just a few years. You know, that, that would have been more the response. But the response is, wait a minute. We're, I can't, we're in the day of the Lord and the Antichrist. Like, no, 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 no. You're not, of, not in that day. That's not going to happen. So don't be bothered. Don't think that we wrote you. Don't, don't, don't receive this deception. So this is a strong passage that tells us that the, the church is not going to be in the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the great tribulation and other events as well. But that's the beginning part of it. So this is one passage. Um, I don't know, either, any closing thoughts there um, from either of you guys on this passage or just on the topic of why we believe in a pre-tribulational uh, rapture of the church? Yeah, I mean, I would just, you know, I wish that that could no longer be a problem for God's people as they're waiting for his return to be easily troubled by website or traveling, <laughs> you know, prophet or newspaper interpreter, um, but... You know, it's still a, a worthwhile exhortation to the body. You know, we're, we're not to react to all of those things as though there's a timing that we will miss or an event that we've misinterpreted. Our focus is advancing the kingdom while it is yet day, you know, work while it is day. And um, so, yeah, so let's, let's stay in that place, focused yeah. and laboring together. Okay. Do I have anything to add? All right. So dig into this. This is a new uh, fellowship, and they had already been taught by Paul. Um, we believe that maybe he spent as few as three weeks with this church before he left, and he had already taught them about these events. So sometimes say, you know, well, end time stuff, you know, this is just, it's, we don't even need to stay, we need to even pay attention to it. Uh, remember this important verse that says, all scripture is profitable for what? Doctrine. And for reproof and for correction, instruction and righteousness, all scripture Prophetic scripture is important for us. So we don't just take a type of scripture and say, I'm not going to read it. Because it all has its benefit. And, and for them, they were looking. They were anticipating. Mm -hmm. And people were uh, kind of uh, muddying the water. So an important passage for you to study and dig into. All right, so let's go to this question here. Um, so how should we watch for the coming of the Lord? How to watch for the coming of the Lord. And I'll begin to answer this first by kind of giving it some negative examples. Um, some of you will remember, how many of you remember Y2K? Okay. Some of you are like, Y2K. So when the, it was 1999, we're going to the year 2000. So Y2K, and there was so much conversation so many people in the church were saying, this is it, you know, this is the rapture, and, and it's going to happen because in the year 2000, computers can't handle, you know, going to um, this, uh, you know, this new date, um, and it's all going to shut down, and communication is going to fail, and planes are going to fall out of the sky, and your power is not going to work, and you're not going to be, uh, there's all kinds of stuff. Uh, ministries were selling survival kits. You couldn't find a generator anywhere um, you know and so everybody was concerned about all of these things and yet here we are in 2022 I almost said 21 here we are in 2022 guess what that was not a sign of the rapture was it 
And, and really, the sign, it, the rapture is a signless event. We've also heard about, well, 9-11, Gulf War, blood moons. Just out of curiosity, how many of you have studied or heard somebody talk about blood moons and how when a blood moon comes, then that's the sign of the Lord's return? And, and again, these blood moons have come and gone. Um, we could talk about the fall of the Berlin Wall. And so all of these things people are looking at saying, these are the, are the signs. This is what we should look for. But they're not in Scripture. So the question is, what kind of things should we pay attention to? What kind of things should we pay attention to? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll start where I always start, Troy, is the, you know, the rebirth of the nation of Israel. Um, since so many of the events of the end times have a, a direct connection physically, spiritually, or by covenant to uh, Israel as a people, Israel in a specific place, a place from which the Lord will rule and reign over 12 tribes of Israel with believing uh, brothers and sisters a part of that um, prior to 1948. That was the, the only solution people saw for those scriptures was to deal with them symbolically or, uh, you know, mystically and, and to just interpret those things differently. But, but that changes now that there are a people of Israel in that land, everything that we can see with a greater faith and a greater understanding that this is exactly what the Lord has been doing. There was a season when that was very difficult for people to receive, but now it is not. And so... Mm-hmm. Regardless of what doctrinal position you would take, the Lord has made it abundantly clear the presence of Israel is something that needs to be dealt with. And so it, it's very encouraging to those of us who see the Lord's plan, his ark, you know, his intent to deal with all nations and his nation at the same time. It's something you know, he's profoundly able to do, and it's humbling to see that he can work in and through Israel at the same time as he's correcting and reproving the nations. It's humbling. Right. to watch. Yeah. So if we put that next point up on the screen, Israel is God's timepiece in prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. And Daniel chapter 9 um, has a chart that was made up for it. It's this one right here, and you can kind of follow that along. It's where uh, the 70th week of Daniel is talked about. So we maybe should be looking at you know Y2K or blood moons or other events like that, but we should look at something that is prophesied about in Scripture, and that is that God would be dealing with the nation of Israel in the last days. So we want to look and see what, what's happening with this nation. And so when they, they were out of you know, 70 AD, they were destroyed, they really didn't have a, a nation status again until 1948. So that's moving in very close. So we should look at that as a significant event because God is going to come back. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to put his foot on the Mount of what? Mount of Olives. Where is that? It's in Israel. It's in right, Jerusalem. Right, right where he left it. Yeah, right where he left. He's, it, the same you know, place he left from is exactly where he's coming back to. Um, and the Antichrist is going to persecute the nation of Israel. He's going to commit the abomination of desolation in Israel. So you can see how many prophecies are connected with the nation. So, Joel, does that mean that everything that Israel does today, right now, is right and good and should be applauded and celebrated? No, uh, absolutely. I mean, not any more than any other nation. I mean, they are God's chosen people, but I think you can see, um, and saying that doesn't mean that we don't want them to do well, but also um, they're not a righteous nation. You know, and so one day that will be the case when they call out upon the Lord, but they're not there yet. So I think although we look at Israel and we see this as as significant and that God is going to fulfill his promises to them and we can look at them coming back into their land and we can say God is true to his word and it gives us an indication we are in the last days. It does not mean that we now approve of everything the nation of Israel does, just like we don't approve of everything our country does or any other nation on, on, on the planet. But I think we can get so zealous for the return of the Lord and knowing that Israel has a place that we kind of, well, one pastor actually went so far as to say Israel doesn't even need to believe in Jesus. So what, their Messiah? They don't need to believe in their Messiah? Well, no, it's okay. They're all saved. They're good. They're fine. It's like, no, this is like just kind of goofy zeal for Israel. So I think we can have a zeal 
to see the Lord answer and that Israel is a significant piece. So if you want to, as you think about what's going on, knowing what is prophesied for Israel and then looking at what's happening in her life and in her history, that becomes a good place to focus your attention. Yeah. Yeah, And I just, going back to the Daniel 9, you know, prophecies, keep in mind, you know, in all of these cases, we got to go back and read what the Lord has already spoken and be very clear about that because these prophecies given to Daniel in the midst of Israel's what? Are they in Israel at the time? No, they're in exile for disobedience. So in the midst of their disobedience, the Lord in his grace reveals to them what will become of them in the end of days and what will become of other nations as well. And so, so you know, yet another missed opportunity by the Lord to declare, and I'm done with you because of this disobedience and future disobedience. He doesn't say that. He, he declares to them his grace and mercy and his plan to unfold that in the midst of their disobedience. It's, it's overwhelming kindness and grace, and he wants us to see that. He wants us to have that same heart. And so we stumble across this truth of his love for Israel in the scriptures, and we get excited about that, and we should. But our reaction should be his reaction, a longing for their righteousness. Right. We should treat them individually or nationally as a people that the Lord esteems and who he's bringing to salvation. That should be what captivates. Yeah. So rather than looking at uh, certain events and every event that goes on, what does the Bible say is going to happen in the last days? And so those are the types of things that should interest us. Another one would be um, a last day's temple will be built. So Joel, you want to talk about that a little bit? I'm not very prepared to talk on okay, that. <laughs> well, 2 Thessalonians 2.4, um, we read about it just a minute ago. And there, verses 3 and 4, we read that the Antichrist is going to sit in uh, the temple of God and that he's going to declare himself God and he's going to demand to be worshipped as God. So he sits in the temple of God. So there is going to be, in Israel, a temple that's going to be built where the Antichrist will say, worship me. And that's going to be in Jerusalem. Um, and Daniel prophesied about this. Jesus talked about it in Matthew um, chapter 24, verse 15 as well, that this is going to be an event that takes place. So if he's going to stand in the temple of God um, in Israel, Israel's got to be a people and there needs to be a temple. There is not a temple right now. So paying attention to what's going on as it relates to plans uh, to build a temple is significant. So I think, you know, that's the area that we would, we would find interest. As a matter of fact, even, I'll give you one more reference. It's not on the screen, but here's another reference for you. I think I've got it. But it's in Revelation. I'm not seeing my notes, but it's Revelation chapter 11. Um, yeah, Revelation 11 verses uh, 1 and 2 read this. And this isn't during the tribulation. Then I was given, John, I was given a read like a measuring rod. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside of the temple and do not measure it for it's been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city, Jerusalem, for uh, underfoot for 42 months or three and a half years. So he's told to measure the temple that is not even in existence yet. This is a temple that's going to be built. So if we know that Israel is going to be in their land and we know there's going to be a temple, these are some things we should pay attention to. Another one, um, Jeremy, Magog invasion. This is a big topic. Yeah, it's a huge So give topic. us a 30,000-foot yeah. flyover, if yeah. you can, of what um, this is and why this should be something that would cause us to be paying attention to. Right. So uh, the context of the prophecy itself comes from Ezekiel and read 35 through 38 and 9, uh, and it's the Lord is in the midst of restoring his people, taking them. They've got the Valley of Dry Bones vision where he uh, calls them back to life, puts them back together, and as a culminating act, he prophesies that he will indeed breathe his spirit on them and give them life. And so we're in the middle of that. They've been, you know, the, the dry bones have been brought together. They're in their land, and yet they, they, they're alive, but they don't have the life that the Lord is looking for. So this is the season that we're in. But what he prophesies is an act that is, is the mix of these two very things. The Lord 
it says he will put hooks in the jaws uh, in Ezekiel 38 of Gog and Magog. Um, there's a list of nations, and they're not really nations, they're more tribes, groups of people from regions, all of which are directly to the north of Israel. And much research and speculation has been done as to exactly which ones are which, but it's clearly uh, peoples from the areas of the Black Sea and the Caucasus and um, the Scythians and uh, in what is currently uh, Iran, Persia, uh, Turkey, and from those regions. And it, it describes it as the far reaches of the north. Um, we look at this and we tend to do you know, our Western thing of trying to figure out, well, which nations are those and how are we relating to those? And, and, and again, it's not wrong to want to watch those things and keep an eye on them, but it's interesting when you read through it to note that it doesn't reveal that they have a long-developed diabolical plan. It just says they will, they will come upon Israel in a season where Israel is at peace, they're without walls, and they will come upon her in order to seize plunder. Well, in order for that to happen, there needs to be some degree of peace in the nation, and there needs to be a degree of prosperity. And, and you know, you could, lots of people speculate as to, well, are they there yet? Is, is sufficient, you know, prosperity and safety accomplished that that could happen? I, I, I would tell you, I think it could happen at any time. There's no, there's no clear indication that that, um, that that battle, which the Lord himself initiates, right? It's an evil plan. These, these peoples will bear their guilt for being a part of it. And yet the Lord himself says, I'm going to put hooks in your jaws. I'm going to turn you around and bring you onto the mountains of Israel and he'll decimate her there. And Jer in Ezekiel 38 verse 8 says, after many days you will be visited so right, we're talking about this battle. In many days you'll be visited. In the latter years you will come into the land brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. And it's in this context that this battle happens. And so Israel, if you think about when they be formed as a nation and came back in, they were coming out of the sword. We don't call it the sword. We call it what? The Holocaust. And so they came out of all these nations back into their land. And now the prophet is looking beyond that event, but in that time frame and saying, but all these nations to the north and some to the east and some to the south, they're going to come and they're going to invade your land. So yeah, and it's, it's fascinating as you read through it, um, the way the Lord is choosing to work. Again, throughout the book of Ezekiel, he proclaims the things that he is doing, he's doing for his name's sake. He's doing it to reveal himself to the nations and to reveal himself to his people. And ultimately, this victory, he proclaims, it's a victory that, um, that will reveal himself to the nations when he is hallowed among his people in the sight of all, their na all the nations. And, and so when you, when you look at any of these prophecies and you ask yourself, well, has, hasn't this happened? I mean, hasn't Israel come back before? I, they, they literally came back into the land after Ezekiel's prophecy while he was in Babylon. Yeah. Yes, they were regathered, but not to this extent. They, they also were exiled again. And so as you start to try to correlate, all right, is this happening now? You can, you can say with great certainty that never has the, na the whole planet recognized the Lord for who he is based on his people in the land hallowing him. And again, earlier in the 35, 36 of Ezekiel, he, the Lord laments the way his reputation is tarnished by the very fact that they've been removed from the land. Just being removed, the Lord says they've profaned his name by being exiled. And so, so the Lord, he, he, he's got a stake in this beyond what I think we typically recognize. He's, he's reckoning accounts with the nations and with his people on display for all of us. So we're going to see um, an animosity in the last days towards the nation of Israel. That will cause many nations, again, you can read it there in Ezekiel 38. Um, many nations are going to come in and they're going to want to destroy her. They're going to attempt to destroy her. But God is going to step in and he's going to wipe out all of these nations. Go read them. I mean, it's an impressive list. These nations are going to be wiped out. And everybody's going to stand back and say, that was God. God did that. Um, so th this is something. So we're answering the question, what should I pay attention to? 
um, in the world. And, and here we are, you know, we've talked about three things and all three of them have been connected to Israel so far, right? Um, Israel is God's timepiece for prophecy, Daniel 9. The last day's temple is going to be built in Israel, on that holy city. There's going to be an invasion on the mountains of Israel um, against a group of people, the Israelites who had been out of the land but now have come back into the land from a time of, of that. So these are all things they're saying are going to happen. So what we're trying to say is emphasize what the Bible says is going to take place. And there's, there's many things we don't know still, but we want to look at it. The last one I would say, and this is probably the one you're most familiar with, is uh, we read in Revelation 13 that the Antichrist is going to be able to control commerce and trade. So in this passage, um, Revelation 13, it's, it's where you find the passage that talks about the mark of the beast in 666, and uh, you're not going to be able to buy or sell or trade without this. And it also says that you know those who take this mark are going to be pledging their allegiance to him. They're going to be worshiping him. The false prophet, look in your glossary list there, um, the false prophet is going to be um, the promoter of the Antichrist, calling people to do this. And if you don't get this mark, you're not going to be able to buy, sell, or trade. So again, we would look at, I mean, we could, I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but you can see how in the day in which we live, that yeah, there, the technology exists. There's a way by which the, a person could control all of that. Um, you know, digital, you know, control, the ability to um, have this dominance over people. So this leads us to the question that has come up so many times, in all, or some of you will remember when the ATM cards came out and people were like, is this the mark of the beast? Um, and then they also were, started scanning groceries at the grocery store, and people were like, I don't know if I want my groceries scanned. You know, this is like a, a mark. And, and we've, we've had these reactions. Um, the, the one reaction that a lot of people are having now is this idea that, you know, COVID somehow, uh, or the vaccine, um, is the mark of the beast. One thing has to happen in order for, well, there's a few things that have to happen in order for that to be the mark of the beast. You need a beast. Got to have a beast. And the beast is not going to come until the great tribulation. And he's going to be manifested halfway through. And whoever takes this mark is going to be engaging in an act of what? Worship. To take the mark of the beast is to engage in an act of worship. And the benefit of worshiping is you can buy, sell, and trade. If you don't do that, you're going to be killed. So, um, you know, there are those who are saying if you get the vaccine, that, you know, hey, you know the COVID vaccine. And I'm, not, I'm not telling you to get it or not get it. I'm just saying if you're thinking you don't want to get it because you don't want to take the mark of the beast, that's not... That's not what's going on with this. Have your reasons. Walk them out. Walk in your convictions. I don't have any desire to persuade you off of it. But it's not the mark of the beast. And so um, the, these are things that come around. And people will talk about, you know, uh, talk about them. And mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, th that's something we'd pay attention to. But what we're seeing right now, that's not, that's not his game. That's not what he's doing. But the question is, could this be conditioning us, all of you? Is this, could this potentially be conditioning people to follow a tyrannical government that wants to force you to do things? I, I think it could. I mean, I think there are systems and um, devices and things like that, that that could lead to something like that, that, that control of commerce. So then how should we respond then to those things? Well, I think the heart is, you know, I don't want to, you know, the heart behind that is, you know, I don't want to participate or contribute to something that is eventually going to become the mark of the beast, you know. Right. And um, I so think if I get the vaccine, I'm helping the Antichrist. Out. I, I, for some reason that, you know, or the, the barcodes and, and things like that, the, you know, contributing into it and, and supporting that in the sense of, you know, if, if I get it, then I'm supporting that. But I think something that will be helpful for us to, to just reframe our thoughts is that this is a future prophetic event. And, um, you know, we may live in a world, and, and I believe we do, where there are foundations and precursors to 
these things that will be leveraged by the Antichrist in the days to come in the tribulation. Do I want my rights infringed upon? You know, do I want those things? Absolutely not. Should I be a good citizen and do as the Lord leads me and vote for people who I think will support the things I support and scripture supports? Absolutely. But I think the question I have to come to and we have to come to is, can I stop the eventual rise of the Antichrist and the systems that he will leverage even as a responsible citizen of this republic? (laughs) And I think the answer is absolutely not. God has said that these things will come. They'll come in different forms and ways, and eventually the world will absolutely know what the the mark of the beast is and who the beast is. Um, But until then, I need to focus on on that which the Lord has given me as as, um, part of the body to focus on. Is it concerning? Sure. So I think, yeah, we're we're trying to pill this issue out, right? You you have an issue of what's going to happen at a time that I would say we're not going to even be here um, because we believe in the pre-tribulation view that will be gone before it happens. But there are certain things that are going to happen. If you happen to be around here and the Antichrist is here and the false prophets saying, worship him and take the mark of the beast, don't do it, okay? That, that would be a good thing to not do. But that's one thing that's going to happen at a, a, a future time that's, that's talked about. Now, we're not saying that there shouldn't, you shouldn't have a response or a reaction to the things that are going on in our country or in the world. Have a biblical response. Have a, 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 you can even have a political response. You can vote for who you want to. You can write a letter. You can pay to fund a, one person with your money versus an, another candidate. There's a lot of things that you can do, and we're not saying you shouldn't. The only point we're trying to say is when the Antichrist comes, you can't stop him. And you deciding to not get a vaccine is not going to um, keep the Antichrist from coming. And it, go get one. Don't get one. It doesn't matter. But this, this hysteria that's kind of come around this and people being so fearful of that, it's, just, it's not a biblical response because this is not what's going on. You, there may be all kinds of medical reasons. There might be all kinds of social reasons. There might be all kinds of political reasons to not get it. Okay, that's fine. You can, you can walk those out. We're just saying, when the Antichrist comes and he demands people to get a mark, um, it's, it's going to be in the tribulation and it's going to be an act of worship. So Yeah, and I would just add to that, you know, two of the questions that came in that run in a very close parallel to this are that question of how do we reach out regarding biblical prophecy to other believers who don't share a full understanding of it, and how do we reach out to the lost in the midst of these things? And I think these issues that you touch on, I mean, a a hysterical, uh, a panicked, and an overreaction to what's happening around us is going to quench your ability to proclaim the gospel. Y2K being an example, you know, it, Katrina is the hand of God's judgment on America. You know, if that is what we proclaim to people around us, at some point we dilute the ability to actually proclaim actual things that the Lord has declared will come to pass. And we just need to tread very, very carefully with that. Um, uh, at some point, you know, the, the world goes tone deaf to people saying, well, if, if everything is a direct fulfillment of something, Pretty soon, nothing is really a fulfillment of anything, is it? And, and we know that not to be true. We, you know, these are, these are truths that we treasure. They're, they're declarations of the Lord that bring hope into our own hearts and lives. So we need, to, we need to handle these things carefully. Don't say that that thing on the news is the hand of the Lord unless you can say it with the same confidence Peter said about the day of Pentecost. Yeah. This is the literal fulfillment of what the Lord proclaimed through the prophet Joel would come upon us in the last days. There's a difference. There's a difference. The other thing I'd just add is specifically with regard to you know the revealing of one who desires worship. I was thinking as you guys were sharing of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's a season where you see a statue of Nebuchadnezzar being built, and then there's a moment where you have to decide horns and pipes will play and you know bow down when you hear. It. And they didn't. You know, did they have the ability to prevent the statue building? No, they didn't. But they had the commitment and the relationship with their Lord that they were not going to be separated off of that to worship something false. So this, this moment of worship from lost people, people created to worship, but who've rejected the one worthy of worship, they're ripe 
to be sucked into, a, you know, an idolatrous, horrific, demonic worship. And I think a real, kind of just to end this, this part here is, this is going to happen at a specific prophesied time in world history. And it's going to happen during the Great Tribulation. And um, that's a specific time period. It's Revelation 6 through 19. And so if you read through this, you'll get a sense of the timing of events. And so I think what happens at times, we have a little bit of information about Bible prophecy. Oh, there's going to be, um, somebody's going to force people to do something so that he can control them. And we have no moorings to the time of when that's going to happen or the other events like it's going to be connected with worship. And so we kind of lift that idea out without really understanding the passage. And then we just pile a bunch of other stuff onto it in the time in which we live right now. And it's, it's, it's poor exegesis. We're supposed to rightly divide the word of truth. So again, have your view, whatever it is about uh, the vaccine, get it, don't get it, protest it, don't protest it. That's not the question here, is, nor what we're addressing. It's that there, this is going to happen at a specific point in time. And, and why do I care about this? Well, I care about this because, as Jeremy said, if we go around saying you know, this, and I'll just give you an example. Let's say just in your own house, you make a big deal and among your family and your friends, and, and this is it. And this is the end because of the, the mandate of the, you know, and the coercion of trying to get this vaccine. So let's just say 10 years roll on. And 10 years from now, we're sitting here and everybody says, wait a minute, I thought you said that was going to be what the Antichrist did. How long is the tribulation? Seven years. Okay, now it's 10 years. You are clearly wrong. And now we've diluted the word of God. Now we've diluted this amazing, glorious teaching that Jesus is coming back. And that certain things are going to happen. So we want to be, be careful on how we talk about these things. So that we don't undermine the word of God with our news clippings. So look up. Yes, we gave you some things that you should pay attention to. But you really got to study these passages to understand them. All right, so we're going to go through kind of uh, some quick questions here. We're not going to spend much time, but I want to get through them. Um, is America in Bible prophecy? Don't see it in Scripture. We don't see it. America is not named. It's not mentioned. Um, so many people try and associate it with any number of passages. Um, but you cannot make a biblical case that America is seen in biblical prophecy. So I don't know if that excites you or disappoints you, but you, if, you, if you have the verse, you got to make certain that you read the context. Uh, one of the verses that sometimes people will point to um, is like, well, you know, there's, you know, the, had the wings of an eagle. Um, and, and actually, that's a reference to Babylon, but hey, we're an eagle, right? We're an eagle. We got the eagle. That's our, that's our bird. So that must be America. Well, wait a minute. Why don't you look up every time you see a reference to, you know, eagle's wings. And find out how many times it refers to Babylon. And, and you'll find out that it's talking about the speed by which they conquered. And that's what you'll find out it means. So just do a little bit of homework. All right, the next question. Um, and I like this one. Can I be excited about the return of the Lord and my future on earth? Can I be excited about the Lord and one day I might get married? Can I be excited about the return of the Lord and maybe one day I get my driver's license? Can I be excited about the return of the Lord and, you know, a job, my career, my diploma? Or if I really love Jesus, do I not care about any of those things? Should I not be excited about my life? I think that's a good one, and I think it's helpful to us to confess that there is some tension in the Scripture between that. I mean, the Lord calls us to give ourselves to Him wholly, and yet He also challenges us to occupy until He returns. You know, the the many end times passages refer to you know the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride being missing. You know, in times of judgment, but but that's supposed to be a sense of loss because that's normally present. You know, and and it's normally present as a part of our lives. And so I, I think the answer is yes, we can, we can, you know, have life and that abundantly as the Lord intended it. But we also need to be cautious that we're not trying to extract from our time walking the earth something that, the, that we can't get mm -hmm. from it apart from the Lord. Yeah. 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 
I would just say, um, well, one verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And yeah, the Lord has created life for us to enjoy. Um, also with that, we've been created for the Lord's pleasure. So as long as we're pleasing the Lord with the things that we engage in, yeah, I, those things absolutely can yeah. coexist. But store up your treasures in heaven, not yeah. here on earth. Those are some of the very things you can actually thank the Lord for. I thank the Lord for my marriage. Yeah. I thank the Lord for my kids. And you know, So we, we, these become praise points. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we can easily be excited about the life that's in front of us, however many years that is, but also the return of the Lord. Um, another question, I only got like two more. I think we'll get through these fairly easy. Again, I think this is another great question. How do I deal with fear or anxiety in light of all the trouble that the world is facing and will face at the end of the age, like all the plagues that are going to come upon the earth? I mean, this causes, the question is, this causes me fear and anxiety. How should I deal with that? Yeah, I'd, I'd say uh, read the, the prophetic passages, read them. Don't just read what someone said about them. Uh, don't just read a book about Spend time reading them. Spend time before the Lord asking him to reveal to you, Lord, what are you, what are you doing in this season? What is your heart towards us? And how do I walk through this, you know, clinging to my love for you? Um, they're not intended to terrorize. They're intended to inform and to change our minds if we're, you know, if we're walking astray. And so be sure you're spending time in the scripture as opposed to, much of what else you can spend time in. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. and what, is this, what is the source of the anxiety? What is feeding that? Um, I, I know for me, particular times in my life, it's the news, you know, and just the, the overall amount that I'm consuming. So maybe for you, it's don't consume so much of whatever that is. Maybe it is the news or, or something like that, you know, um, consume like Jeremy says, those scriptures. And, and, and we have the ability to, to control our thoughts. We, yeah. we can think on those things that are noble and praiseworthy and honorable. That is a commandment. Yeah, they're in Philippians. So, yeah, I think if you are watching news like 10 hours a day, stop. Just stop. I mean, because you are not going to feel better about your life, this world, or anything else. Um, so, you know, I think this is, this is something that, you know, think on the right things. And as you study prophecy, yes, it talks about some hard days coming, but it is also full of our hope. And that the Lord is going to rule and reign and that he's going to rescue and that he's going to, you know, give um, us rewards for our service to him. So, um, yeah, make sure you're actually in scripture and not just sitting around contemplating um, certain uh, scenarios and um, being fed by uh, something that's not helpful and not healthy. And, you know, a lot of what we are exposed to is meant to get us to want to watch and to meditate on, and it, it, it can be, it can draw us in. And there, is, there, is, there are many people that are in this fear, anxiety place because of everything we've gone through the last couple of years. Um, hey, Jesus is on the throne. Yeah. Jesus is on the throne. He, he's not wringing his hands over COVID, vaccines, Democrat, Republican, any event in the world, what's happening, you know, in, in Russia or Ukraine or China, or he's not like, oh no, he's sitting on the throne. He's in complete control. Rest in his authority over this world that you are a child of his. Last question. Um, what is the difference between the Bema seat and the great white throne? So I got two verses here. I think these verses make it very simple explanation. This first one, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. This is referring to the judgment seat. Word in Greek is bima um, seat. And what do we read here? It says, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the bima seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So this is a, 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 a judgment that all believers will experience When they go before the Lord and their life as a believer and their works as a believer are reviewed. What we have done for the glory of the Lord, we will receive a reward for those things which are um, just misses and whiffs and, you know, neglect and and sin. Well, we're going to lose a reward that could have been associated with doing something um, for the glory and the honor of the Lord. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are created for 
uh, good works, right? And, and that we are his workmanship. So there are works the Lord wants you to do. He's given you spiritual gifts to walk out. And he's giving you time, and he's giving you talents, and he's giving you resources. So you want to use those things. So when you are standing before the Lord, he says, what did you do with the time, the money, the resources, the spiritual gifts I gave you for my glory? You want to have a response. Because you're going to be looking in the eyes of the one who hung on the cross for you. You're going to want to worship him. You're going to want to honor him. You're going to want to present something. Well, Lord, what I did for you, I know I didn't do the best. But I taught, that, I taught Sunday school. Lord, I, I did, and he knows these things already, right? So, but the idea is that we're going to present what we have done for the Lord. So that's the, the judgment seat, the Bema seat question. Does this have any bearing on our eternal salvation? No, this is not a judgment of the soul, of right. works. So for the believer, the, that judgment has been taken care of where? On the cross. Yeah. yeah. So that's taken care of. Now. If you're a believer and you're in heaven and they've got signs, let's say they have signs in heaven and it says line for the Bema seat, you're in the right line. <laughs> Feel really good about things. But there's another line that's going to happen at a, later in time and it's going to be called the great white throne judgment. If you're in that line, that's a bad line to be in. Revelation 20 verses 11 through 15. This is for unbelievers. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. Believers' names are in the book of life, singular, but not in the books. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books, plural. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Anyone not found written in the book of life, which is where the name of all believers are, was cast into the lake of fire. See why you don't want to be in that line? This is a person's soul being judged. This is their works being judged. But Jesus took the judgment for the believer in his body when he was on the cross. So for a believer, when we go into heaven, our works as a servant of Christ will be reviewed. But the question of my eternity with him is not on the line. Um, those who go to the great white throne judgment, they will be judged for their works. And, you know, our works are not good. And they, will be, they don't have the covering of the Lord that's taken away their unrighteous works. So they will have to give an account for the, themselves and they will pay for eternity in the lake of fire. Pretty sobering stuff. So, be my seat for a believer. Good line to be in. Live for the name of the Lord. Present something in worship of him. Great white throne judgment for unbelievers. Don't want to be in that line. That is where the person who's rejected Christ will find the judgment of their soul for eternity. So, um, I know, I think we got through the majority of the questions. Some questions came in this week, and as you can see, we didn't have enough time to get through these. So we're going to end right here with prayer. Um, we'll, we'll remain up here. If you have some other questions, you can come on up, um, but let me close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word that gives us light and instruction, guidance and truth. And Lord, we confess, we don't understand all things. Lord, we, we know that there are more, there's more to know. There's more to study. There's more to work through. But Lord, we thank you for what you have told us, that you've gone to prepare a place for us, that you're coming again, that where you are, that we might be with you also, that you're going to rule and you're going to reign and that you're going to bring us um, out of that thousand-year reign into eternity with you. And Lord, our eyes, um, we pray you would open them, that you would put an excitement and a hope in our heart. I pray for those who wrote the question that are feeling that anxiety, that the hope of your return would bring them much joy and much peace. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and ask these things. Amen.